All right, we can open John chapter 4, <clears throat> and we'll, we'll open in this book, and you may keep a uh, placeholder there, finger or digital bookmark, whatever it may be, because we'll be coming back uh, pretty frequently to this chapter in John chapter 4. But let's just start in verse 1 of John chapter 4. We read, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. All through Scripture as we read, um, there are times, I guess, just even in natural things that we read that we may read through something and we may um, not be reading for necessarily a deep comprehension of something. We just read to read. If you're reading a novel or something like that, you may just read to pass time. You may enjoy reading. Um, I enjoy reading. I don't have time to read, so I don't read. Um, other than the time I get to spend in the Word. But there's times that when I read the Word, um, as we read elsewhere in Scripture, it's living and active. So the Lord always brings things out uh, as you read it. But there's times that you read over things and you think, wow, has that word, phrase, question always been um, in this account, uh, specifically in this account here? Uh, you know, you read through things, and, and there's times that I'm just reading to read, not necessarily reading to study out a lesson or, or doing a Bible study of my own, but just reading. Um, and that's quite different than if we're going to read to study something. Taylor's taking a class uh, this summer for school. It's a history class, which is primarily all reading. Um, and so she reads diligently, and she's got a notebook, and she scribes notes, and then she goes back and types notes. Um, much more in-depth than just a, a casual reading. And she's reading to comprehend something at a great detail so that she can be successful in the class and in her her schoolwork that she's doing. But as we, we read through things, uh, there's times that we just we pass over things. And I, and I bring that up only tonight because that's what happened to me in this case. I had read over this passage multiple times. In fact, we studied a portion of this passage in Kansas City um, not too long ago. And as we were studying it, the Lord just put this question on my heart, this question in verse 4. Um, and it's not really a question, it's a statement. It says, he needed to go through Samaria. And as you, you read it, it, it doesn't really need to be there. Um, let me just read verse 3 and write, go right into verse 5, and I think you can understand. We get the meaning. It says, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar. Again, that, that's a detail that could be left out. And so the Spirit put on my heart this question, why, why was this included? It, it's not necessary. It's certainly not filler language. Uh, and those who are in school know a lot about filler language. I became an expert in writing papers full of filler words um, just to get my word count up, and uh, I'll leave that as it is. But it, it, this isn't filler here. There's a purpose in what Jesus had John record and then the Lord put it on my heart. And I hope that it's, it means as much to you as it does to me after studying this. There's an extra level of detail here that Jesus wanted recorded, that God wanted recorded in the Word of God. It said he needed to go to Samaria. And the King James Version says he must needs go. This had to happen. He needed to go to Samaria. There was a specific reading, and from this text it seems evident that he as they recounted this and reflected on this, that John understood this detail was key to be included as he wrote. Because certainly this wasn't the normal route that they would take going through Samaria. But we see here Jesus had a great reason. And as we get into this account, it's a very familiar account. And as you uh, come to understand it, you'll, you'll, or as we read on, you'll know very familiar the account 
of the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. But as we see this small detail, this small phrase here in John, we see just a glimpse of his grace, his mercy, and his love. How much Jesus loves his people. How great lengths that he goes to to make a way for them, to, to bless them, to give them opportunity. And as we go through these scriptures, I hope that you see them come alive. Um, as this is happening in real time with this woman, we have the opportunity to look back in hindsight, but to try to just think for a moment what she was experiencing and how real that love and mercy unfolds before her very eyes. And we're going to go through a lot of scriptures here in, in a Bible study format. Um, so many of them I'm just going to read, and if you want the references later, just let me know and I'll, I'll let you know what they are. But as I said, we're going to start in John 4, and we're just going to pick up this account in verse 5 now after our main text passage of verse 4. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now we see, again, so much, and we're not going to be able to cover every detail of this passage. We're going to go through about 10 or 15 verses of John 4. But I would encourage you to go back. Uh, as you have time in your own studies, and just study this fourth chapter and just see how the Lord works in this situation and the result, the eternal work that he did throughout this chapter. In his human form, we see Jesus becoming weary. His body was subject to wearing down, becoming fatigued, tired, thirsty, as our bodies do today. He asked for a drink, but in this moment, as we reread this, we see that he never gets that drink of water that he requested because he put her needs before his own. Uh, we at Christmas time we always watch Home Alone, and I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing to say uh, from standing up here, but it's one of our favorite Christmas movies. And every time we get to the the scene where the bad guys are about to break into the house, the lead character is about to eat his macaroni and cheese, and the bad guys show up, so he never gets a bite of his food, and it always irritates Rachel. She goes, "But he never gets to eat his food." And so, why I thought of that as I was studying this lesson because Jesus never got that drink that he asked for. Because he was willing to work and serve. I think this was a little re- literal request. I think he asked for a drink of water. But he asked for a reason. And he needed that drink, but he never received it because he put her needs above his own. We read later in this book of John that he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Again, something that just boggles my mind that that nourishment that Jesus needed came from serving those he came to die for. Jesus goes on later in the book of John in chapter 9. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is today. Jesus understood the urgency of his time on earth, the opportunity, the ministry that he had to present to a lost and dying word. In this case, that work, that food of speaking to an unknowing stranger, one who was living in a sinful matter, and one who desperately needed to meet the Savior. It was for her that verse 4 is recorded. He needed to go through Samaria so that he could encounter this woman. The timing of this encounter is further evidence of why Jesus said, I need to go to Samaria, as it was customary for Jewish women to to come and draw water, usually in the evening time hours. And by all accounts, this is the middle of the day when this takes place. So it might suggest that her intention was to maintain anonymity and, and avoid people, probably people that mistreated her and abused her and looked down on her. And it may be some of that justifiable. 
But this is just when Jesus arrived, in that moment where she felt alone and in isolation, where she was looking to be intentionally by herself. This is when Jesus showed up to help her. Let's turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29. And again, as you're turning to Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, we're going to read a couple of passages out of Jeremiah. But we'll start here in chapter 29, verse 11, one that a lot of you can probably quote, but I'll read it to you here in Jeremiah 29:11. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is a passage that has spoken to me time and time and time again. It's one that the Lord has used to minister to me and my family over the last several years. He has plans to give us a future and a hope. It's not to put us on a a trail that is a dead end, that's fruitless, that's painful. It's one that he desires to bless us, to lead us, to guide us, and to bring growth in our life. But there's times that I'm sure in our lives, if you're anything like me, that sometimes you wonder, well, what is the plan? What, what's going on in this situation? Why this? Why now? Why here? And I could speculate that this woman may have had those thoughts herself. As you go on to, to understand more about her life and the situation that she was living in, it'd be easy to see her come to a place where she wondered, what, what's the meaning of all this? Why am I here? Again, she's hurting a life full of hurt and avoidance coming to this well when no one else would be present. We ourselves have probably had these thoughts. I know that I have in my own life at times of just having difficulty understanding what the Lord is doing, when he's doing it, and why he's doing it. But as I read this passage in Jeremiah, it's one that always brings me back to center. It's one that always brings me back to understanding the direction we are walking. We are walking in the direction that the Lord has set before us. In Jeremiah 10, 23, I'll just read it to you, but it says, Oh, I know or excuse me, O oh Lord, I know the way of a man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Again, we're not smart enough. We fancy ourselves as wise beings. But when it comes to matters of eternity, matters that go beyond just the day-to-day, we don't know how to direct our steps. Only the Lord does. Several of you have asked tonight for wisdom, wisdom in work, wisdom at home, wisdom in situations with friends. Our steps can be ordered by the Lord as we wait upon him to move our feet, one step at a time, one foot in front of another. Our lives are not just happenstance. They're not just a series of random events that just happen to us on a daily basis. And and there's times that sometimes it just feels that way. It just feels like, here's another day. I wonder what's going to happen today. I'm just going to go through the motions. But that's not how it is. And I think as we read Jeremiah, as you understand, and we've read these two passages, If we go all the way back to the beginning of Jeremiah now, chapter 1 and verse 5, we understand this all played out just as God had ordered in Jeremiah's life. It says in verse 5 of the first chapter of Jeremiah, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Do you not think that this understanding helped sustain Jeremiah, as he went through his life, as, as he had those reject his words, as those who would mistreat him and put him off, I had to imagine when he came to that 29th chapter as he was writing that, to understand the reality, the Lord has plans. He's had plans for me from the womb. The same is true for us. It may not to be a prophet to the nations, but the Lord has plans for you. He's had plans from eternity past, as he did for Jeremiah. It goes beyond just this man. It applies to all of us. We can think of Jesus as he's calling his disciples. He spoke to Nathaniel 
As Nathanael was coming towards him, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael goes, Well, how do you know me? Jesus goes on and says, Well, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Again, that had to be mind-blowing to Nathanael to understand. This man that I've never met before calls me an Israelite, an Israelite indeed, and he saw me under a tree when I was alone. Again, that would be alarming to me if I met a stranger and they said, well, I know what you were doing five minutes ago and you were doing this, this, and this, and it was accurate. That would be alarming to me. But to Nathaniel, it was awe. It put him in awe. This has to be the Messiah. We see, as we study the word of God, we clearly see that he has plans for us. He has plans for each and every one of us as he did this Samaritan woman. As Paul tells the Ephesian, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, from our mother's wombs, he has plans. He has set a path for us. He has set an inheritance before us to go on and to run for it. The Samaritan woman was oblivious to it, but the Lord was working. The Lord ordered her steps that day according to the counsel of his will, and it had an eternal impact. And as we briefly go through a few of these passages tonight, I I pray that these familiar scriptures come to life, and we see the reality in her life, and hopefully we see the reality in our own lives. Again, this woman had no idea what was awaiting her at the well that day. It was literally just going through the motions. This is what we do every day. We go and get water from the well. What do we do every day? Get up and we go to work and we go to school. Whatever it is, it's just the rat race, our daily routines. And again, before we left, I was on the rat race superhighway at work trying to get things done. And it was literally just get up, alarm goes off, go to work, work at work, come home, work at home. It was just mundane. And this, the Lord knew the timing of this, this trip that we're taking here. So I needed to get away from it. You, sometimes you need to step away. But even in those moments, looking back, you see the strength that the Lord gives you. We see the direction that he gives you. And let's go back to John 4 now, and we'll pick up our account again in verse 9. And we see that there isn't just a rat race. There isn't just a going through the motions when we know and understand who the Lord is in our lives. The woman had some questions for him as we pick up in verse 9. It says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, again, not answering that specific question, but giving her the answer that she needed. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Again, by his perfect will, Jesus violated those social, cultural, religious norms of his time to demonstrate God's love for an outcast people, for this woman who was outcast. And again, we don't have time to get into the history of the Jews and the Samaritans going all the way back to exile, but suffice to say, they weren't BFFs. They weren't close friends. They didn't consider themselves uh, in a very cohesive relationship. The Jews hated the Samaritans and considered them to be no longer pure Jews. Jesus, however, had no such bias. And, and it's what blows my mind as I read this, because so many try to put this negative tint or tinge on the Lord of, uh, or Christianity as being something that's ultra-exclusive, when all through Scripture we see the exact opposite of Jesus opening up his arms, crying out for whoever will hear him to come to him, as he did this woman in this account tonight. God's desire is for all men to come to a knowledge of a hymn, and he goes to great lengths to allow for it. He's long-suffering, patient, merciful, 
giving opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Last time we spoke of Jonah, and in the book of Jonah, as it wraps up, it says, God speaking to Jonah says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Again, God loves people. God loves individuals. God goes to great lengths to make opportunity for us to be able to come to know the redemption that sent Christ to Calvary. Again, these thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who couldn't even discern their right from their left, they were lost. But what did God do for them? He prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, who was fleeing to send him back to preach to them and give them opportunity. God loves and welcomes everyone to come in to his presence. We can go back to Genesis and see the account that Abraham is having in this conversation where he's talking about those in, in, in Genesis 18. I'll just read it again. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do right. In the context there of destroying Sodom, and this conversation going back and forth, well, you wouldn't destroy for 50, 40, 30, 20, down to 10 people. This understanding that the judge of all the earth does right, and he gives opportunity for all. He tasted death for everyone, and there's no requirement to come from him. Nineveh was vile. Jonah knew it, and that's why he wanted to avoid them. But the Lord knew there were those who needed to hear. Again, that invitation is open to all. I think of myself, I was a train wreck when the Lord presented himself to me. I didn't have to clean myself up to to receive that invitation in Mark 8, it says, The disciples called unto the him, called the people unto him with his disciples also, and he said to them, Whosoever will may come after me. We are so blessed by the Lord. We are so blessed by his grace, his mercy, and his love. Again, we think of that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And he said, Who has condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What an opportunity presented to these people that we read about. Again, it's an acknowledging of their need for him. Jesus isn't affirming of their wrong. He's not affirming of their sin and saying, you're fine, just go on as you are. He's saying, come unto me, go and sin no more and walk in the light. Because he knows what is right. As we read elsewhere, two cannot walk together unless they are agreed. Again, the prodigal son, when he was in prodigal living, didn't have a fellowship with his father. But when he came back, his father received him. He said, my son is dead, but now he's alive. He left the prodigal living behind him and came and lived in his father's presence. That is what Jesus desires for all of us, to come unto him, to live our lives in the light, to walk beside him. Going on in John chapter 4, verse 13 So Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw again. She's starting to understand. She's starting to see there's more here than just a man, a stranger asking for water. There's something more to this story. And again, she says, well, that sounds great. Water that springs forever, give it to me so that I don't have to come back to this well. But again, as Jesus is showing and revealing, and we see the patience and the kindness and the working of the Holy Spirit in the situation, again, we know it's the goodness of God that leads 
towards repentance. It's not something that we can force upon somebody. It's not something we can debate somebody or trick somebody into. It's the goodness of seeing who the Lord is. And as he begins to reveal himself to her, as he begins to show her what this water springing up really is, it shows the grace, that fountain that never runs dry. God desires for there to be a relationship with him, that first step of initial salvation, but showing that there is so much more. There is everlasting life, day by day, a deeper fellowship of growing, walking, and living with him. As she struggles to learn and understand everything that's going on, she begins to push and deflect, as many do when you present the gospel to them. And I know in my own life that was the case. There's a tendency to just look at our flesh and think, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I don't, I don't need any of this. We can be turning to Luke 18, where we see, I think, a pretty good demonstration of this overemphasizing of our flesh and the goodness that might dwell within us. In Luke 18, verses 10 through 14, we see here two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, what great truth we understand in this passage. And we want to look at ourselves and think, I'm so good. I'm not like these extortioners, these tax collectors, fill in the blank of what we might look at bad people, quote unquote. Jesus is no respecter of persons, positions, titles, status, wealth, natural ability. doesn't mean anything to him. He bestows those things upon us as gifts to accomplish the will and the path that he has set before us. There's nothing we can do to earn his grace. And that tax collector just beat his breast and said, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner and I recognize that's all I am. And I come before you humbly. He went away justified. Full dependence upon him, understanding there's nothing good that dwells within me. Jesus' invitation is to whosoever will come, whosoever will acknowledge their need of him, and whosoever will simply believe and follow. As the Samaritan woman is trying to reconcile all this in her mind, I think we need to remember for, for a moment as we study this, she's trying to process this all. This is all unfolding. Again, I spent hours reviewing this account, and this is all happening right as he's speaking to her. She's trying to wrap her mind around all of this. Again, she went to the well that day just to draw water. She certainly wasn't expecting to meet the Savior of the world that day. And we may encounter those in our lives who have no idea what we have to offer them. And the Lord opens a door for that, for that, that conversation to happen. And we have to understand at times that they may push back. They may not understand what we're saying. They may be like that Pharisee who thinks that they're a pretty good person. It takes time, and it takes patience. As we see on display here, as Jesus is ministering to this woman, there is a patience that is displayed. And again, that doesn't take away the urgency of us needing to witness, to testify, to preach as the Lord allows. But there has to be a patience in allowing the Spirit to work. I think of my dad. prayed for him for over 20 years. 20 years! There was an urgency the entire time, but it wasn't the right time. He wasn't ready. The Lord was doing a work over those 20 years of you all praying for him, my family praying for him. Jesus is very, very patient, and I thank him for that. I thank him for that in my own life, that he was patient with me 
through those 16 years of my life that I pushed back and rejected and thought that I was something special and didn't need the Lord in my life. As she comes to this understanding, again, still questions, lingering, but I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and this doesn't mesh and you think the temple's here and the worship is here. Jesus again steers her back to why he's there. In verse 21 of chapter 4, he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we, we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Again, he's pointing her back to the deeper meaning of why he came to this earth. Again, the temple didn't matter. The system didn't matter. It was all about coming to know the Savior, coming to understand the salvation that he came to bring to all mankind. It didn't matter what religions. It didn't matter this mountain or Jerusalem. It didn't matter. The Father was seeking those who would worship in spirit and in truth out of a heart of faith. Again, this living water, this fountain that Jesus was presenting. Again, there's no, uh, it's not by happenstance that this account takes place at Jacob's well. Again, a well that had been producing water for hundreds and hundreds of years, but it was a well that was going to run dry. Jesus' water, his love, his mercy never runs out. And he was showing her that this well, your fathers have depended upon it, you have depended upon it, but I'm telling you, I am here now and will give you water that lasts forever. He is the hope of glory, Christ in us. Continuing on in chapter 4, we'll wrap this up here in these last passages of chapter 4, verses 25 through 29. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, Why do you seek? Or what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? We see her questions and doubts starting to slip by the wayside and her understanding beginning to grow. And again, as you read through that chapter, you understand that she began to witness and testify of this man who told her all things, who she came to know as her Savior. Again, it takes us time it takes us, sometimes some of us are slower than others. I think of that, that father who had a son who was possessed by that mute spirit that would throw him down on the ground and he would foam and, and all those things and the disciples couldn't cast him out. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus answered back, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. And the father cried out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That account hits me in the fields every time because it's relatable. We live that and walk that daily. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's moments of frustration and doubts and fears that we, we just get encountered with. Sometimes we, we walk smack into a wall of unbelief, and we need to look to the Lord and cry out, Lord, I believe. Help me to come to know more fully that you are able, that all things are possible, that you make a way and you do all things well. And you do all things right. If you believe, help me, Lord. Help me. And the last thing that we see in that passage is a woman left her water pot behind and went her way. She left it behind because she no longer needed 
a vessel that held temporary water because she had the eternal water springing up inside of her. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. She left the water pot, that old vessel. It was no longer needed. We can leave the things behind us that we no longer need, that weigh us down, that hinder us, and press onward and upward and forward to what he calls us to, again, to press on and to know him in a deeper, fuller measure. My Bible gives this section of Scripture the passage, A Samaritan woman meets her Messiah. Jesus did this for this woman. Verse 4 again reads, But he needed to go through Samaria. And I just leave this with you tonight. Where did he need to go for you? He needed to go to Rangeview High School for me. He needed to meet me in that class with that teacher that wasn't afraid to tell me about Christ in school. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Aurora, Colorado. He needs to go anywhere that there's a willing heart. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation for you and for me. He left heaven above to come to this filthy, dirty earth, a place like Nineveh, to live, to die, and to redeem mankind. He went to Samaria to change this woman's life, and he does the same for each and every one of us every day. He desires for us to be an inheritance, not just a lineage, to leave our water parts behind and press forward, to run with endurance, to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I pray tonight that we remember there are no throwaway passages in Scripture, and that one Scripture, that one passage he needed to go, has spoke volumes to me in my own life, in my own walk. I pray that it does to you as you go back and review it, read it, study it, that we can embrace all that the Lord has for us, that we can press on, that we can encounter him and drink from this fountain each and every day, and be refreshed, and let it overflow to those around us. Lord bless you.